Well, good evening. I feel like it's been about a hundred years since I've gotten to do a Wednesday night uh, class in the auditorium, so I'm, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm pumped uh, for this class, and, and I'm thankful that you've chosen to be here. I, I like to tell people on Wednesday nights especially just how much I appreciate you being here, because I know it's a big deal. You've got a lot going on during the week. You're busy. You've got uh, school and work and family and things going on, and you chose to, to be here with your, with your church family or participate online, and, and we, I appreciate that so very much. I hope that uh, we will be encouraged by our study tonight. It, it may not seem like an encouraging topic, but I think it is going to be. I think it's going to be an incredibly encouraging topic. Uh, I, my favorite story about the Civil War is the story of a guy named Wilmer McLean, and he was a guy that lived in Bull Run, Virginia. You know what's famous about Bull Run, Virginia? The fir- first battle, right? The first battle of the Civil War, the first real battle of the Civil War. In fact, uh, he, when, when Virginia seceded from the Union, uh, he offered the Confederacy the use of his house and said that they could use his house. I don't think he expected his house to become ground zero for the first battle of the Civil War. One night, a cannonball exploded through the chimney and ended up in his kitchen. And of course, the first battle was way bloodier and way worse than they ever imagined that it would be. And it happened right in his front yard. Uh, Of course, after the battle and the year after that, his property and his home were devastated. And so he, he decided he wanted to get his family as far away from there, or at least as far away as they could, away from the war and just kind of be done with it, put it all in the rearview mirror and move on. And so they moved about 120 miles away thinking, okay, this will be safe. We won't have to worry about the war anymore. They moved to a place called Appomattox, Virginia. You know what happened at Appomattox. It was the last battle of the Civil War. And so they say literally uh, the Civil War started in his front yard and then the peace treaty was actually signed in his parlor. So it started in his front yard and ended in his parlor. And I say all of that to say that once you get entangled in the war, there's really no getting out of it. And we're all entangled in a war. We're all entangled in a war. We've all decided to open up our our life, our heart, our mind to the war that has been raging for thousands of years. And there's no neutrality. You don't get to pull out and say, okay, you know, hey, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to worry about all of that spiritual warfare stuff, you know, I'm just going to kind of sit over here to the side and I'm not going to participate. Not participating is not an option. You're either winning or you're losing, but you are participating. You are involved in this war. You are participating in it. You are engaged in a spiritual battle, and everybody else you know is engaged in a spiritual war. We are in the midst of it right now. I I like this, this way of thinking, and it's really helped me over the last few months, that we are facing three enemies. And, and we're going to talk a little bit throughout this class about a book by, the, by a man named John Mark Comer. It's called Live No Lies. You don't have to read it. But, um, but I, I really enjoyed it. And he brought out something that isn't, isn't uh, original to him, but it's been really helpful to me to think about it this way, that we face three enemies. One is the devil, obviously. We, we face the devil as one of our enemies. Two, the flesh 
and three, the world. The devil and the flesh and the world. And, and thinking about the warfare, and I, I hate to almost use that term spiritual warfare because you probably have all different kinds of things that come to your mind. There's, there's all kinds of connotations to a phrase like that, spiritual warfare. And maybe you kind of think about people that are a little paranoid or superstitious or, or something like that. But these categories... Understanding that we are, are dealing with a battle against the devil, a very real devil, not just an idea or a concept, but a, a very real individual, a spiritual being, the devil, and the flesh, our, our own flesh, our, I like to use the, the term weakness, the weakness that is the aspect of ourself that is predisposed or bent towards or struggles with these desires and passions towards sin. And then the world, meaning what happens when all of our passions and desires and sins begin to cooperate with each other and they all work together in society to form something that is very dangerous. I, I like this, this quote by John Mark Comer that says, the devil's primary stratagem to drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas. Another word for that is lies, right? Deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires, that's the flesh, which are normalized in a sinful society. Just going to kind of let that simmer for just a second. So the, the concept here is that this is the way that the, the devil primarily operates in order to bring destruction to us individually, personally, but also in society, is that primarily the devil works in lies, deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, our flesh, our weakness. And those, those deceptive ideas, those lies that appeal naturally to our flesh, they are normalized in a sinful society. Do we see how that works? Can, can you see that? All three of those aspects around us? That on the one hand, we, we could say that our enemy is the devil, and that's very much right. From the very beginning, the, the liar, the murderer, we'll talk more and more about that over the next couple of weeks, but, but yes, our enemy is the devil, but, but also our enemy is our own flesh, our own disordered desires, our own weakness, our own passions, our own desires, and then also our enemy is the world, not the world as in my next door neighbor or something like that, but sinful society that has normalized, has normalized deceptive ideas, has normalized lies so that if I go and participate in society, it, it feels like these things, these ideas, these concepts that are toxic and destructive and deadly are actually good. Why? Like our teenagers say, everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's doing it. It becomes normal. And that's what the world is. The world is the place where sin has become 
normal. I want us to look at a passage of scripture and see how all three of these enemies kind of are are borne out. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to stay in Ephesians tonight. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says this about your life, my life, our life before we were followers of Jesus. He says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So where do our temptations to sin come from? Do our temptations to sin come from the devil? Or or do they come from our flesh? Or do they come from the world? The answer is yes, right? Yes. Do you see all three of those in this text? The devil, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And how about our flesh? The passions of our flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. And the world, the sons of disobedience and the rest of mankind. The world is where all of our brokenness and our our fleshly desires and our passions all cooperate together in a, in a broken way. And Paul says, you, you all used to participate in that. that. That was the way you went. And in fact, that's the thing about believing a lie, is that when you believe a lie, when you believe a deceptive idea, do you know that you're believing a deceptive idea? No, you, you don't know that you're believing a lie or else you wouldn't believe it. You, you think that this is the truth, and it's very difficult to understand and to see and to perceive that it is a lie because it is normalized in a sinful society. And it's just what everybody does. It is the course of this world, like the rest of mankind. This is the way everybody is living. And Paul says, you once walked in that way. You lived in that way. But the whole idea here is that When you became a follower of Jesus, you became spirit-filled. You became born again. You became a new kind of human, a new kind of human who no longer has to live according to the flesh. Now you get to live according to the the spirit, right? Walk according to the spirit. Walk according not to the lies, but according to the, the truth. And that's what this class is going to be all about. It's about understanding that this is the way that we engage in spiritual warfare. Again, I I know that that phrase, spiritual warfare, it carries with it all kinds of strange connotations maybe. But, But the way that we engage in spiritual warfare is that we believe truth. And we expose lies. And that we recognize and admit and acknowledge that this is the way Satan operates. That Satan plays to our disordered desires by telling lies. And those lies are normalized in a sinful society. I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. This is a, a text that we'd always go to about spiritual warfare. But I'm afraid, even before we get to the text, I just want to say this. 
I'm afraid that when we talk about this, when we talk about the devil, when we talk about Satan, when we talk about spiritual warfare, when we talk about being at war, we're at war, what, what kind of a feeling do we typically walk away from these discussions with? This is the interactive portion. What, what kind of a feeling do we typically walk away from conversations like this with? Fear, yes. What else? What, what feelings do we walk away, when we talk about spiritual warfare, what, what kind of feeling do you typically walk away with? Overwhelmed. Fear, overwhelmed. Stress. Anything else? The word that comes to my mind is anxiety, right? I mean, it, it is. It's overwhelming. It's, it's fearful. It's, but, but actually, as we read this, ask yourself, is, is that the feeling that Paul's going for here? Is that, is that what Paul is trying to evoke from his audience? Is he trying to tell them, you, you got to be scared to death. You ought to be scared. If you only knew what was out there, is that what he wants them to feel? No. The, the very opposite of that. From the very beginning of this letter, his, his prayer for them was that they know who they are in Jesus. And the, the power that they have at their disposal because they belong to Jesus, because they're filled with the Spirit, because they're new kinds of humans. Be alert, yes, but be afraid, no. Be anxious, no. Be overwhelmed, no. If we walk away from this conversation feeling like we should be afraid because of the, the spiritual forces of evil that are in the world, then we're walking away with the wrong impression. That, that's really what we've been talking a lot about in our sermon series lately, hasn't it? That yes, yes, there are enemies. Yes, there are villains. Yes, there are opponents. Yes, there are adversaries. The devil is an adversary. Your own flesh is an adversary. The world is an adversary. But you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because the one who is with you, the one who is in you, is stronger than the one who is in the world. Amen? You, you don't have to be afraid. In fact, listen to the way Paul says this. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be... What's that next word? Able. Say it one more time. Able. That you may be able that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Are you able to stand against the schemes of the devil? One more time. Are you able to stand against the schemes of the devil? Yes. You are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Is the devil scheming? Yes. Is the devil bad? Yes. Do you, do you need to recognize and acknowledge and be alert and sober-minded that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour? Yes, you need to know that. But are you able to stand against the schemes of the devil? Yes. Yes, you are. And Paul writes this to them so that they will. If we, if we read this and we walk away and we just... 
are distraught and in despair and afraid and anxious and overwhelmed, then we're reading it all wrong. Because Paul wants them to understand you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. But in order to do that, you need to be strong in the what? Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of your might. Is that what it says? In the strength of his might. Stand firm. Stand strong. Stand strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on your whole armor. Is that what it says? Put on whose armor? God's armor. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, several things to notice there. One, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The moment we start fighting with flesh and blood, we have already lost sight of the actual battle. The moment we start using carnal weapons to fight this fight, we have already lost sight of the battle. Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Our warfare is totally upside down. Yes, we need to use this. It's really strong language, isn't it? I mean, we might think, warfare, Paul? Come on now. Soldiers fighting, wrestling? Come on. That's, that's kind of strong language, isn't it? Yes. And with good reason. Everything, everything is at stake here. Everything is at stake. It is a, a battle but it's a battle that we wage. It's a, it's a wrestling match in which we're engaged, not by, not by hurting people, but actually by helping people, by loving people, by doing good, by walking by the Spirit. And when we, we do this, we're actually engaged in warfare. Are there times where it's going to hurt physically? Yes but there's never times where we have to hurt someone else. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, so we're not fighting against people, but we do wrestle. We do fight. This is a wrestling match. This is a battle, but it's a battle against, and again, I know this is overwhelming language, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The, the people that you can see are not our enemies. It's the things that are going on in the unseen realm. The things that are going on in the heavenly places. And you say, how, 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 am I supposed to, how am I supposed to fight a fight like that? Can't even, can't even see it. How am I supposed to fight a war I can't even see? I'm glad you asked. He's going to tell us how you fight this war that you can't see. But even before he gets into the details, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He is going to give you everything that you need to stand strong, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, there it is again, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, of course, we like to get really caught up in the, the soldier metaphor, right? And think about all of the armor. And when I was a kid in Bible class, you know, they'd have like a, a Roman soldier picture on the wall and the breastplate and the helmet and the sword and all of those things. And we get really caught up in the metaphor. And, and I even heard people like speculate, maybe because Paul's in prison when he's writing this, maybe he's looking at a Roman soldier and so he's describing what he sees. I was an adult before I realized that actually Paul is referencing Isaiah. I think I've got it on the screen. Isaiah 59. Did I put that on there? Isaiah 59. I may not have. Isaiah 59. Go read that sometime. But Isaiah 59 is describing a time when there's no, no justice. No justice. Nobody is doing what's right. Nobody's doing what's right. Nobody. There's no heroes. There's no good guys. There's nobody to rescue. There's nobody to help. It says, verse 14 of Isaiah 59, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Let me say say that again. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Again, when when society normalizes sin, normalizes injustice, where it's normal for there to be injustice, when it's normal that truth can't stand up, when people don't speak truth or do what is right or good, truth is lacking. Listen to this. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Did you hear that? He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. If you don't do evil, you're probably going to get beat up. You might even get killed. Somebody's going to get you. If you don't don't look out for yourself, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. If you don't get them before they get you, you got to get in there and you got you to hit harder and you got to be more shrewd and you got to take advantage of them before they take advantage of you. This is the kind of world that Isaiah is describing. Broken. Utterly broken. No good guys. No justice. No truth. Nobody to rescue. Nobody to intercede. Nobody to help God's people. Nobody to help the downtrodden. Nobody to help those that are victims of injustice. And it says, The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And so here's the solution. It says, verse 16, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. His own arm brought him salvation. In other words, who had to go ahead and do it? The Lord, right? The Lord had to be the one to step in. The Lord had to be the one to deliver. His own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. And he put on righteousness 
as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Whose armor is Paul describing when he talks about a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation? Whose armor is he talking about? God's, right? It's, it's God's armor. God's the, God's the justice bringer. God's the hero. God's the deliverer. God's the righteous one. Nobody else could do it. And then in Jesus, we, we see this is exactly what happens, isn't it? Jesus has to come. God has to come in flesh to save, to rescue, to bring justice. Now, Paul is saying, now, you, you, you followers of Jesus, now, you put on the armor of, not my Roman guard over here, put on the armor of God. Put on God's armor. That's that's amazing, isn't it? God says, I want you to participate with me. I want you to participate with me in this spiritual warfare. I want you to wear my armor. I want to partner with you in the spirit. You are going to put on this spiritual armor with me and you're going to join me in the fight. Now we could say, well, I'm kind of overwhelmed with that. But if we realize the power of our God, that he says, I'm going with you. It's my armor. It's my might. It's my strength. It's my power. I'm with you. You have nothing to fear. This should fill us with an incredible amount of confidence because we're going with him. You can go anywhere with God. You can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because he's with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. You're wearing his armor. You have his strength. You have his might. And Paul promises, if you do this, if you do this, then you are able. You are able to stand. You are able to stand. What if if we remembered this? the next time we are feeling overwhelmed. See, isn't that, isn't that, I, I look back at this, this text now and I think, Wes, for so long, you read Ephesians 6 and you felt scared. You read Ephesians 6 and you felt worried. You read Ephesians 6 and you felt overwhelmed and anxious. In fact, it should have brought exactly the opposite kind of feelings. To say, yeah, I, I know there's a lot going on in the world. I know. But you can stand strong because you can stand in the strength of the Lord. You can put on his armor and he's going to stand with you. What if we thought about that the next time we were dealing with things that were overwhelming? What if we thought about that the next time we were looking at things in, in our own life or in our own family or in our own community or in the world that seem overwhelming and so very broken and we remember God invited you to partner with him, to participate with him in this spiritual warfare and that you are able to stand strong if you put on his armor. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now again, 
When I was a kid, I, I loved the little, you know, the little diagram of the soldier with the helmet, and I got really caught up in the metaphor of the armor. But don't, don't miss the actual, the actual things that Paul is telling us to, to pick up, to hold on to, where our strength comes from. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. Do you have access to all of those things? I don't know where you get a breastplate. I don't know where you get a helmet or a sword or a shield or any of that stuff, but I know where you get all of this stuff. How about you? You have access to all of this, don't you? You have access to the truth of God. You have access to the righteousness of God. You have access to the gospel of peace. You have access to faith. You have access to salvation. You have access to the word of God. You have all of it. You have everything you need so that you are able, so that you are able to stand strong, so that you are able to withstand in the evil day. Yes, yes, the devil has plenty of schemes Yes, he's a liar. Yes, he's a murderer. Yes, you need to be aware. Yes, you need to be alert. Yes, you need to know you're in the middle of a war. But you also need to know that you are able to withstand. You are able to stand firm in the strength of the Lord if you take on these things, truth and righteousness. The gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. Look at verse 18. He says, praying at all times, how? In the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Even, even in that, even in that, we're, we're, we're tempted, aren't we, to rely on our own strength, even in prayer, to try, try to tough it out. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta be better at praying. I gotta, I gotta know the right words to pray. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to be a better prayer warrior. And, and he says, even in your prayer, pray in the spirit. Your, your strength even in prayer comes not from you, not from you being so smart and so spiritual and so discerning and so wise. Even in prayer, your strength comes from the Lord. You remember what Paul says in Romans 8? He says in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Isn't that awesome? In all of this, it's not your truth. It's not your righteousness. It's not your gospel of peace. It's not your salvation. It's not your prayer strength. It's his. Pray in the Spirit but do it all the time, constantly relying on his spirit and his strength in prayer. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, he prays, that the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You see how Paul, I love this, that, that for Paul, they're all connected, and they're all doing this together. That even these Christians in Ephesus, they weren't the ones in prison, 
And they weren't the ones necessarily having to preach and teach. But their prayers gave Paul the boldness that he needed to do his job. The prayers that you pray give me and the elders and the deacons and and, and people all over the world and our missionaries and, and everybody. We're all working on and depending on one another. But it's not your strength. It's not your power. It's not your might. Yes, be aware. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Know that we are in the midst of a battle. And you have to be engaged. You have to be engaged. You have to be intentional. You have to be people that hold on to the truth, who know the truth. You have to be people that that hold on to righteousness, people of righteousness. You have to be people that stand firm in the gospel of peace. You have to be people with the helmet of salvation on your head. But it's not your strength. It's his. He will give you the strength to stand firm. But you have to be intentional. You have to be engaged. You have to be alert. But you don't have to be worried. You don't have to be Worried. In fact, that's, that's where I want to end tonight is if you know that we're at war, don't waste time worrying. Pray. We don't, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. We don't have time to worry. We don't have time to wring our hands. We don't have time for that. All the time and energy that we would spend worrying that does nothing. It gets us nowhere. All of this that Paul said, none of it. He never said put on the spiritual anklet of worry like I never any piece of the armor is worry none of it you don't have time for that that's not a part of our battle we don't have time to worry spend all of that time that we would be worrying in prayer in prayer what if we would what if we would think this way about spiritual warfare not to get afraid or worried or anxious or overwhelmed about what it means that that we are doing battle with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, but to recognize that whatever that entails, Jesus is equipping you. Whatever that entails, Jesus is empowering you. Whatever that entails, you are able to stand if you will be alert, if you will be aware, if you will persevere in prayer. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we are overwhelmed that that so often we are unaware of what's going on in the world and the spiritual battle that's taking place and even how it's affecting us and the people that we love. And then at other times, as we become more aware of it, we get overwhelmed and we get afraid and we forget that it's your strength and your power and your might that is able to make us able to withstand in the evil day. So, Father, we pray that you help us to be alert and aware. Help us, Father, to acknowledge the reality of the warfare that we're engaged in. But, Father, help us to not be overwhelmed, to bring all of our worries to bring all of our concerns and lay them at your feet, to stand strong in your strength, to put on your armor, and to know that in Christ and through your spirit, 
we are able to stand. Father, I pray that you strengthen and encourage all of us that we may, that we may be the people that you have called us to be, that we may be filled with the Spirit and that we may glorify you and that we may resist the schemes of the devil today and every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.